0: Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, I want to introduce to you who our guest speaker is today. He's not a stranger to any of us. Uh, Mike Burchard is going to be speaking for us here in just a few minutes. Uh, Mike uh, has works with our Tabernacle here at Mount Pleasant. He's also our seventh and eighth grade, one of our seventh and eighth grade teachers here at Mount Pleasant as well. Uh, Mike's wife, Glennis, uh, is here somewhere. There you are, and uh, Glennis was on the lead pastor search team, so I've known Glennis more than I've known most of you guys. And they have two young fellows, Benjamin and Grayson, who also love the Lord as well. And we're so grateful for this family who are right here in our church. Mike is at Southeastern Seminary; he is almost finished with his master's degree. He has just a little bit left. But one of the things that uh, he chose to do in in finishing that degree was a mentored internship. And so that meant for this past semester, uh, he has spent a lot of time here at the church. Uh, He and I met together prior to this semester, but also during the semester on a weekly basis. And also, he sat in on our pastor's meetings, our staff meetings. Uh, he went out visiting with uh, Pastor Andy. He's worked with Pastor Joe, Pastor Luke as well, at some of the middle school projects and what have you. And so he has uh, had a great time, I think, with us because we've had a great time with him being with us. One of the things that, uh, in, a, in that requirement of an internship was to have a written uh, sermon, but also we chose to have him deliver the sermon as well. And so we're looking forward to that here in just a few moments. But before he comes and, and begins to share that message, uh, Pastor Brian is actually going to use a musical introduction to the message today. So, Pastor Brian.
1: I'm dreaming tonight of a place I love Even more than I usually do and although I know it's a long road ride, I promise you I'll be home for Christmas. You Like me. With
2: be home for Christmas. Please have snow where the love light gleams, if only in my dreams. Pulling at our heartstrings with the desperate desire to be home for Christmas, these words reach out to us. This song gives a deep and clear voice to one who is hopelessly far away from home. In fact, Bing Crosby first sang it in 1943 from the perspective of a soldier overseas in World War II. It was a big hit and so much so that it survives as a staple as a Christmas song in any Christmas list today. Have you been far away from home this season? Are you longing and loving to uh, loving to and longing to see someone that you've not seen for so long? This holiday I've longed to get this message and bring it to you, and it's, uh, it's been a joy to work on, and I thank you for the opportunity. Uh, perhaps you've uh, also longed for the, the uh, folks in your life, uh, but thinking about Paul and this song, it might be too much to think that he, was, he would reminisce about this song, but he certainly longed for the Philippians. He wanted to be there with his friends and co-workers in Philippi. So if you'll stand, we'll read together Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all and everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Thank you. Have be seated. And please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word that You have sent to us, infallible in the Bible as we read it. Lord, we thank You for that. We thank You that You communicate to us Your love, Your devotion to us, Lord, uh, the way things are. Lord, thank You for truth and uh, hope. Lord, we pray that You would open up the Scriptures today, Lord. Indeed, I, I pray that You would thrill the hearts Thrill the souls of people here today as you have thrilled mine in preparation, Lord. Be glorified by our response, by our our, uh, encouragement, Lord. And speak to each of our hearts, Lord, that we would grow closer to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, my brothers, brothers, whom I love and long for, My joy and my crown stand firm in thus, the, in thus in the Lord, my beloved, Philippians 4, 1. Paul's loving or longing for the Philippians is real and deep. Hear his passion for them. My brothers, whom I love and long for. Not just love, but long for. Get that. My joy and my crown. His desire to be with them is evident here as it's earlier in the book. In fact, in verse one or chapter one, verse eight, he says of them, For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He is affectionately connected with them, not only because the church of Philippi, their brothers in him in Christ working towards the gospel, but he's also close to them because they're his spiritual children. He cares for them as a father cares for his children. He desires that they stand firm in the gospel in the midst of any distractions. And as you can imagine, a new church, an early church, in fact, back when the Christian church was being developed and begun right there after Christ, there must have been a number of distractions. This particular one in view here is the uh, uh, distraction that was internal, though. This is the one in view. There has been some strife here. There has been some conflict. Paul writes to the Philippians a clear message. In fact, his thesis of Philippians, the entire book of Philippians, can be seen in chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Although he's physically far away, he hopes that they will live lives worthy of the gospel that they work together side by side to proclaim. He wants them to stand together in the Lord. He wants them to be unified for the sake of the gospel. Thus my title today is, Unified for the Sake of the Gospel. So on your sheets there, you'll probably find two blanks. This is the first, final call for unity. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who I have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, Philippians 4, 2 through 3. Paul writes this letter letter with all affection and sweet-spiritedness that he can. He writes with this affection to address the divisions within the body. He's using this letter to express his love and to reinforce the gospel message. Paul seeks to imitate Christ, both in his preaching and in his life. He offers himself as a humble servant, Christ did, who died in the service to those he loves and long for, even though he and the Father were one. With Christ as the focal point of the reason and the means to overcome division, Paul names Iodia and Syntyche as the two who need to be reunited. He uses a kind kind and generous term to rebuke these two ladies. He entreats them. He's not harsh. He's not, well, Paul wouldn't be mean, but he's not hard. He entreats them. He entreats them to lay down their grievances and to agree in the Lord. He calls also on the loyal yoke fellow, don't you love that word, which is the true companion and perhaps even their pastor to help in their reconciliation. He also commends, that's right, commends Iodia and Syntyche, by acknowledging their labor in cooperation with him and uh, with Clement for the proclamation of the gospel. The whole church in Philippi seems to be in view here. They are all united together. Did you catch this? With their names in the book of life. These are Christians, these are brothers and sisters in Christ all of them. In this final call, Paul encourages these two fellow laborers as well as the whole church to be united. It is not known exactly what the problem was, what their disagreement and division was. Uh, in the realness of life, in the in ministry, there must have been something that the two of them felt compelled to cling to, something that they were passionate about. Um, We don't know what it was, but in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, Paul's love and affection is expressed as he positively specifies some remedies to their issue. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. This verse is not only descriptive, it's telling us a story, gives us a hint as to what may be going on, but it's also prescriptive. Do you ever wish that God would just answer your prayer specifically and write down the list? What do I do with my situation? How do I fix this? Anybody? I see some nodding heads, maybe an amen? Certainly for me, that's true for me. Well, here you go. Boom, it's done. We have a list. Here are some of the things that we should do, or they should do, for their conflict. And also, we too can use what Paul says to the Philippians here. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than ourselves which is yours in Christ. Oop, I missed something. But also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Easy, right? Done. No problem. Everybody's, yeah? Well, maybe not. Maybe not. All that is good. In fact, it's very good. But the heat of the moment, it might be easier said than done. The first step to accomplish this list above is to focus on the first part, specifically the encouragement in Christ, the comfort of love, the participation in the Spirit, and the affection and sympathy to complete Paul's joy. Again, you might say that's a tall order. Well, there's more. Paul gives us more to do. To do is... Uh, quoted here for emphasis, uh, but then he also gives us the how to do, the how to do. So your second blanks are joy and anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 4-7. It appears that at first glance, Paul's added even more to-dos on top of an already long list of things that the Philippians, as well as we Christians, must do. Joy and anxiety are contrasted first, however, by emphasizing the act of joy. The act of joy, do joy. They are called upon to rejoice always in the Lord. If it were not clear enough, he says that he's going to repeat his command to rejoice This is not, by the way, a call to be happy. This is not a warm, fuzzy thing. This is real joy. Rather, joy is a part of the cure for the anxiety that we face. It's a call to choose to give glory to God for the gospel. This is the actual how-to for the previous list, as well as as the how-to to be able to achieve the additional reasonableness that's required. To arrive at this state of being, it's necessary to rejoice in the Lord in all things. This, rejoicing, this is a recipe to to thrill the soul. Rejoice. This reasonableness is also very interesting. It's not just the ability to think through issues and come to a reasonable solution. They are to be magnanimous, And I said that word twice without stumbling. This is to be in possession of a sweet spirit. They should be ready to go for their demand, or they should be ready to let go of their demands and even their rights to justice or their version of justice so that it doesn't end up harming others. A merciful justice should win the day. A big, full flavored, and even compassionate reasonableness is what they're called to do. Yes, a long list of things to do. As good as they may be, and even reinforced by the rejoicing in the Lord, it still may be kind of a big task. It might take something more. So? Paul, in the next verse, changes everything. This is a game changer right here. This changes everything. He states that the Lord is at hand. It almost seems a little out of place, doesn't it? He's giving us a narrative of the things that are going on, maybe a window into what what might be the problem between the two ladies, and he says the Lord is at hand. Let me just say, the proximity or the nearness of God being at hand changes everything. The fact, this fact, is enough to address what might actually be underlying the strife in Philippi. In fact, it's certainly the foundation of our struggles today, many of them. It's anxiety. He commands them to stop, or excuse me, he commands them not to be anxious about anything. I gave that away. The sense of the Greek word here is stop being anxious. Stop it. Stop being anxious. That's a hard word for many of us to hear. I know my my toes were stepped on. We like to stay on top of things. We try to stay in control. Often, we want what we want because we feel like it's going to give us security. The reality is, we're not in control. We just aren't. We cannot produce our own security. God is in control. That's why the Lord is at hand can be stated here as evidence enough to trump anxiety. It's also enough reason for us to pray in three different kinds of ways. You notice that, prayers, supplications, and thanksgiving when we make our requests made made known to God we're not qualified to take on all of that anxiety. Amen. We need to depend on God rather than ourselves. These prayers in every sort of way and about anything and everything are an active part of the cure for our our anxiety. The list above is good. Rejoicing is huge. The fact that the Lord's hand is a game-changer, and we must pray. God has more to say, though. In response to prayer, with the background of the encouraging words before, Paul tells us that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. Hmm. The peace of God, not my peace, not your peace. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. What kind of peace is this? This peace surpasses all understanding. All understanding. This is astounding. This is outrageous. It's, it's wonderful. It's... I could sit down now this is amazing and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus let's let that sink in let's let it marinate in our hearts in our minds This is not a peace that we can muster up. This is not simply something that we can be brave about. God is the source of authentic peace. This peace is an attribute of God. Are you hearing that? This is essentially God. I'm not saying God is all only peace. I'm saying peace is God. This is the Lord of peace. It's an attribute of God. It's essential. This is the essential root meaning of peace. It's an absolute. It's astounding that this peace would stand guard over our hearts and our minds. Let's look at the difference in peace that we might muster and the kind of peace that Paul uses to punctuate the exhortation to the Philippians and us. Again, we are exhorted to stop being anxious about anything and to rejoice in the Lord in everything. Consider David and Goliath. Come on up, step a little closer so everybody can see. David and Goliath. You guys know the story, right? David and Goliath. David is the little shepherd youth who comes and believes and treasures God's Word and name so much. He treasures his reputation so completely that he's the one that stands before the giant. You guys know the story, right? There's a whole army there, a whole army, and Saul is the big man, if you recall. Saul, Saul's the big guy. That's right. Show him some gun show here. Let's see it. Yeah. Okay. So, David and Goliath. Goliath is a big guy, really big guy. In fact, he's the, he's the Philistine champion military fellow. He's also full of cursing, and idolatry, and derision of God's people. But David came against him in the name of the Lord. That's right. There it is. Yeah. The first thing I want you guys to see about David and Goliath is the absurdity of the difference in the worldly situation here. The the little man and the, the big giant... The qualifications here for battle are absurd. As a beautiful and courageous as David is, he's no match for the hardened, battle-ready giant Goliath. Now, you may, <laughs> you may be one who goes for the underdog, right? Any underdog rooters? That would be me. But remember what's at stake. It's the whole nation's fate in the balance. Second thing, let's see about this peace. The courage or the peace that David has facing this giant, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah? David really believed that God was going to bring the victory. In fact, David says to Goliath, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Nice job. In 1 Samuel 17, 47 is where the story is found, and it was about God's glory that David was ready to rejoice in that fact. Thank them for us, if you will. It was God's glory, and David was ready to rejoice in that fact. This peace is the peace that we have in Christ. It surpasses all understanding. And again, it is really amazing. We begin to manifest overcoming anxiety and strife when we immerse ourselves in the peace of God, which is in Christ Jesus. His peace empowers us. This is the power that helps us to be obedient. Next blanks obedience, and peace. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things." and the God of peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 8, and 9. Again, he appeals to them as brothers to enrich their dependence on God in order to cure their anxiety and strife. He tells them to fill their minds with everything good. These good things that go beyond the best morals of the Roman citizens in Philippi. He lists excellent qualities that point to good Christian values, which are lived out in Christian community. It's a community of faith, and we live these things out. This exhortation reminds me of the encouragement to avoid being conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12, too. Digging a little deeper, there's another parallel with Psalm 119, 11, where the psalmist David... He says, he stored up God's Word in his heart so that might, he might not sin against God. The Bible is a great place to consider truth. Whatever is true is a fine focus for our meditation. And again, if you were looking for proof that I'm a Baptist, there's the uh, alliteration. Honorable is next. The word translation, translated honorable is a word full of meaning and is difficult to translate adequately in just one word. One author says it refers to the lofty things, majestic things, things that lift the mind above the cheap and tawdry, to that which is noble and of good and moral worth. Whatever is just speaks not only to the earthly justice, but the justice between man and God. This justice is the hope of all Christians. Whatever is pure or untainted is key. It brings with it the idea of the ceremonial, ceremonial cleanness, which is part of the righteousness that is, in ours, that is ours in Christ also, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. These are qualities of Christians that should be recognizable by others. It's supposed to bring God glory. There are so many God-given qualities that Paul sums up uh, the list with an ex- any excellence, anything worthy of praise, in order to show the Philippians that there is plenty to give thanksgiving for and praise to God about. These meditations will give us victory over worry and conflict. The last verses remind me of Jesus' words, Abide in me and I will abide in you. From the Gospel of John, it calls them to practice or do the things that Paul has been doing. He's calling them to a life of obedience, a spiritual disciplined life many of which have already been noted in this letter. He wants them to imitate himself as he imitates Christ. This obedience which produces peace is also an element for the cure of anxiety. In his summary of how to be unified for the sake of the gospel, Paul reiterates here where the power comes from for this. The God of peace will be with you, And again, as we abide in Christ, He will abide in us. This promise is rich with freedom from temptation, and it's also a promise that's rich with the power to achieve unity because of the peace of God. And this is because the God of peace, there it is, the God of peace will abide in us as we press into Him. In conclusion, do you want this freedom? Do you want the power? This power? We find these things in the gospel about which the Philippians are called to be united. What? Gospel? What is it? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the good news that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one true and living God, He's made a way to bridge the gap between Himself and sinful man. And it's true. Men are prone to stumble and fall. I heard an amen. All mankind rebels against God. Ouch. You hear that first word, all? All men... All mankind rebel against God. But God. Thank God it didn't stop with that last sentence. But God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is an offer of monumental proportions. To reconciliation with God. Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself. He put on flesh and dwelt among men. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was completely righteous. He was fully man and he was fully God. He put on flesh in order to be the perfect sacrifice, he put on flesh in order that he could die. For the sins of men. Men are powerless to overcome the consequences of sin, but Jesus paid the ultimate price. The freedom from sin and death are offered to us here. It is by Christ's death that we may have victory over sin, and it's by his resurrection that we can have victory over death. By faith, we turn from our sins. We believe that Jesus, the God man, Died for our sins and we're saved. We are made free from sin and death and are born to new life in Christ. By living our lives to Christ, we receive the power to overcome our issues. Do you know yourself to be a sinner? Do you know it? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I hope you do. If you don't, I'm not done. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Today you can know His peace. Today you can know His peace. Confess your sins. Believe in your heart. Confess these things to someone and confess that Jesus is the Lord even of your life. Your life. Therefore. I like the word therefore. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ephesians two, or excuse me, Philippians two, nine through eleven. This is the gospel that we give God the glory for. By living for this Christ, we find unity for the sake of the gospel. Thank you, Jesus. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God. And Lord, thank you that you can thrill the soul by speaking the truth. Speaking the truth in the Word, and Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to do so. Lord, I pray that you would move in hearts today. Lord, my heart, in the hearts of these folks today. Lord, I thank you for them. I pray that you would bless each and every one. Lord, for those that know Christ, Lord, I pray that many of them would be very encouraged. Lord, that the God of peace is with them. Lord, that we lean into you, that we depend on you, and we can trust that. And Lord, for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would move, continue to move in their hearts, those that don't know you, faith would be kindled, that you would be glorified, that they would take courage and step forward, even step forward and pray with someone, tell someone, Lord, I pray that we would follow after you, that we would believe that you love us, love us so. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, if you will, if you've sensed the spirits moving in your hearts, come
1: speak to the pastors.